Welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. This week, Manchester City are the champions. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. The Transfer Window analyses their victory. Stories suggest Paul Pogba's up for sale, but is that really the case? We look at the comings and goings at Manchester United in the summer and some news about David De Gea and his contract. Thomas Lamar has been on the radar of some of the biggest clubs in world football. Where will he end up and for how much? And a resurgent Wolves led by Portuguese coach Nuno is set to take the Premier League by storm. But super agent George Mendes' involvement has caused controversy. We take you inside this developing story. Okay, gentlemen, where else to start but recently crowned title winners, Man City. The question is... Did you stomp your feet, Duncan? <laughs> I didn't stomp my feet and I didn't get a um, birthday cake the, the set the size of a, a, seven, a Boeing 7-7 like Sheikh Mansour did to, to celebrate the title win um, at a distance, as usual. He must be the only um, titular owner in football who's only watched his team win um, one game that he's attended but um, uh, seriously they, it's well deserved we, we all knew they were going to be champions um, for months now which is testament to how good they've been um, they you know the football's been exceptional um, they have done it in Guardiola's style he was prepared to stick to his guns and uh, said he could win playing that kind of possession quick passing football and it worked um, and you know, worked in the same way as it worked at Bayern Munich, and they they, they won the title quickly. Um, got in a dominant position, and the others, other teams, essentially gave up. Um, and huge amount of praise for what they've they've done across the season. Um, the the one thing you ask is, can he take it to the next stage? Which is obviously what um, the man in the Boeing seven 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 wants, which is the European Cup the Champions League and and that's going to be the more pressing test for him next season for sure and um, you know it was interesting that Guardiola in the press conference after he'd had another moan about the referees and get costing him uh, the Champions League was talking about how the, the Premier League title was the more important of the titles that City had gone for because you, you won it across the season not from um, just having seven good games that, as far as that Abu Dhabi is concerned, is not the case. The title they want for their investment, and let's reiterate, they've spent over a billion pounds on Pep Guardiola in the two seasons he's been at the club um, on uh, transfer fee commitments and wages, is the Champions League. And I think we will see the recruitment from Manchester City for next season being focused very much on broadening that squad out, adding even more quality to it. So um, it is more capable of competing in the second half of the season uh, in knockout competition for the Champions League because that's when the, the most difficult title for any club to win is actually decided. I've been a Scot in exile for a long time now, Johnny, in terms of working in English, England and working in English football. And <clears throat> excuse me, I feel that um, 
I feel like Manchester City's title win and the the manner in which they've done it in the uh, amount of points that they've they've won by um, and done all of their rivals feels like a bit of a watershed moment and one that I witnessed when when Wenger's Arsenal um, first won their title um, in a in a sort of similar style of football more direct. Uh, probably more quick to get from back to front than Manchester City have been, but it felt like a, a shift in English football. Um, and in fact, you know, historically now Wenger's um, team that up till the Invincibles in 2004 is looked upon as one which created a new template for the kind of team which would dominate English football. And that was one where you had not just um, physically strong players, but physically strong players physically big players, and I just mean simple as height, who could also play football at a very high level. Um, their touch is good, um, and they combine the physicality with talent and skill to move the ball uh, in a very quick way. And that's, I think, what, what we've seen with Manchester City as well. Not quite as physical, but the speed at which they move the ball is certainly has been impressive. And the gauntlet has been thrown down because... Um, that Arsenal team um, dominated English football in terms of the title, albeit probably sh- shorter than they should have done, but you know for at least six years. Um, and then being our only rivals at the time were Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson, were the only ones to take the title off them in that time. Uh, and then Manchester United wanted to dominate, but playing a style of football that we all knew Manchester United would do. Um, so Pep has brought something different. It's... Um, it's been widely praised and should be. I take Duncan's point about the spend, but you know what? You only get what you pay for, and if you've got money in your pocket and you've got the ability to pay it, then that's what you do. And I think it's correct that they will spend £150, £200 million pounds more in the transfer market this summer. Uh, they will bring in augmentation to the squad, uh, especially in central midfield. Uh, Fred is still very much uh, a live transfer for them as a long-term replacement for Fernandinho. Um, but there's been little things which I think have been maybe overlooked. I mean, Fabian Delft could never have believed he was going to be play such a big part in a championship-winning side as he has, albeit from left-back and sometimes in midfield. Uh, Ryan Sterling has improved his game it, it, you know, it, at, almost exponentially in terms of goal-scoring and uh, chances created. Uh, he's also as we've seen in, in the last couple of weeks, been very profligate in front of goal, and that's where he's to improve. But when someone like Garrett Neville starts comparing you to Thierry Henry or Cristiano Ronaldo, because you keep coming back for more, you, you miss, but you come back for more, you come back again, you don't go, go down on the deck, you always come back. I think that's high praise indeed uh, from someone who's been a Premier League champion more than most. So I think it is time to, to salute uh, Pep Guardiola and Manchester City, but it's also a time to ask Where's the challenge going to come from? Who can beat Manchester City next season? In terms of the, the way Pep has come in and changed the conversation in English football, do you think he's going to have a long-term lasting impact in the, the, the brand of football that he's delivered? I saw there was an excellent piece in The Independent about his intellectual vindication and the power of an idea uh, and how that has has taken root in a way that other coaches maybe maybe haven't. Do you, do you believe that, or is it hubris? Um, I, th- I think it, you can you definitely see it having a, an effect in the Premier League. You see people talking about this. I mean, uh, I watch a lot of Premier League TV, and um, which is very good 
enjoy the production quality of it. I enjoy the majority of the pundits, but unfortunately they use Tim Sherwood a lot. And one of Tim Sherwood's standard phrases um, when analysing teams is he, he talks about their brand and their identity. And he, you know, he, he's a big Pep Guardiola, Manchester City fan. And one of his things, he says, he, he always plays the same way. And, he, and his team has an identity. And I understand why he's saying that's a good thing in one sense. But he uses it in a critical fashion to look at clubs who, who change their way of playing per game um, according to the game um, and, and then criticises them for not having an identity. And I think that's, that kind of influence is happening in England. And there's this, this idea, which, which always happens in England, someone comes along and does something different. Um, happened with Wenger, it happened with Mourinho. The others want to copy understandably so because the because that's the winning style of football but i think with guardiola's winning style of football it's a, it's probably a dangerous thing to copy because you do have to have and you know guardiola is very open about this himself when i asked him um two weeks ago about uh the amount of money he he he'd been given to spend on that team and the importance of it to his success. He, he very openly said, yeah, you cannot play the way we play without the best footballers. And that's, that's the, you know, you have to doff your cap to him and say, yes, he stuck to his guns, it, surrounded by huge criticism. A lot of it from some of the people are now um, praising him so highly. Um, and he won the way he wanted to play. But that way of playing is difficult because you do have to have top players to execute it. So I think it will have an influence in England and it will have probably have a, a reasonably long-standing influence. But I don't know how many teams can actually go about winning the English title playing that way because ultimately you've got to have exceptionally good players and you've got to have probably got to have a financial advantage over everyone else to be able to win using that, that methodology and, and, and more importantly, being refusing ever to adapt your tactics to the opponents. And, and we discussed this in the podcast the other week. You handicap yourself by doing that. And I think that's one of the reasons that he has struggled in the Champions League since leaving Barcelona, because the, the best opponents know how he's going to play. He won't compromise. So they devise a plan to beat him using similar quality level of players. And funnily enough, because they take advantage of his weaknesses, then on average, they tend to knock him out of the Champions League. So it's, yeah, it's, it's brilliant to watch. It's been an amazing season. But to suggest that he has come up with a way of football that is all conquering, that everyone is going to adopt, everyone is going to be successful that way, I think it's just it's far too early to, to do that. And I just don't think the evidence is there. And logically, it doesn't make sense either. That's true, Duncan. You, you you cannot play Pep Guardiola-style football without the quality of players that he has been able to bring into the club. But I think we've got to give him some credit too for his coaching. Uh, we know yeah. he likes younger, pliable players, ones who will do do his will, which is something which Jose Mourinho prided himself on as well. Not prided, but certainly built a foundation at Chelsea and Internazionale, um, bringing young players to a club where... He, could, he knew that he would carry out his tactical um, instructions to the very letter. Uh, it's a very intense, it's a very um, 
embraceive type of football where you have to give everything to it. And if you do, you, the chances of success are good. But more importantly, if you don't, then you will not be allowed uh, and you will miss the next game or you'll be dropped, etc., etc. Um, I think what, if you like, the hope for English football in terms of a title challenge to Manchester City next season is quite simple. Leicester City, very, you know, a club who were almost relegated, <clears throat> then have a season freak, though it may have been, and it certainly looks that way historically. Um played with a very limited amount of resources against teams which were in transition. The bigger clubs are all in transition, and if it was managerial or squad and everything else. So the um, you know the swings and arrows of outrageous fortune fell nicely for Leicester City. <clears throat> Perfectly, you might say, for that particular season. But Shakespeare just, references. Let's, yes, absolutely. Craig Shakespeare. Let's just, uh, <laughs> take that... Let's take that. Uh, let's take that beyond Leicester City to Manchester United, to Tottenham, to Chelsea, to Arsenal, and say, okay, a thirty-eight game competition, you play Manchester City twice. If your football is good enough to be everyone else in your thirty-eight game season, or at least get good results against them, then your chances of winning the title are as good as Manchester City's because you then have to take them on in a, win- a-, a-, a- all-or-nothing game. <clears throat> now Liverpool have done that successfully this season, both in the league and the Champions League. So if it was Liverpool, then who's to say they couldn't win the title? And again, the clubs I mentioned beforehand, who says they can't win the title? Now that makes it sound much more simple than it actually is. Of course it does. But the bottom line is, each club has the resources um, given to them by the TV revenue <clears throat> and by their owners, etc., and also by uh, sales and transactions. So I, I do generally think that. We, there's, no one should be in despair this summer about <clears throat> well, we might as well give City the title next season already. I don't think that's the case. And we know for a fact that we have managers in Mourinho, Pochettino, who knows who will be at Chelsea, um, who even knows who will be at, at Arsenal, but Klopp as well at Liverpool, who are not going to simply lie down and say, right, OK, I'm, I'm going to focus on the FA Cup or the Champions League or whatever because that's my chance of winning a trophy. Um one of the things that we've learned <clears throat> you know, year on year in football is that if a team succeeds as Manchester City have, we all know what they're going to do now. There's no surprise. And we know what Pep's going to do next season again. So you work out how to play against that. But again, I stress, it's only two games. <clears throat> Home and away. And then you've got to beat everyone else. Sounds simple, but actually that's the truth of it. So I don't think people should be depressed or despondent that they're going to reign supreme and they're going to steamroll everyone next season. I don't see that at all. If anything, it's like your second album, second season syndrome. Uh, In terms of having won the championship uh, this year, City have to get themselves up for it, on it, 100%, and uh, transfer that into play on the pitch. Now, there hasn't been back-to-back champions in the English Premier League since Manchester United. So to do it would be historic for Manchester City. And I'd, I'd seriously, I would say, watch this space. It's going to be more difficult for City next season, not easier even with investment in the summer. It's, it's one, of, one of the things Guardiola has said himself in recent weeks is no way will this be repeated in the sense of winning by such a margin. And he talks about exactly the, you know, the things that Ian's alluding to there, the difficulties of 
of uh, re-energising a group that's just won the title, um, the difficulties of getting over complacency, um, and the difficulties of opponents seeing what you've done and working out solutions to it, which we've you know we've seen um, in the second half of the season. It, they are going to win the title almost certainly by record margin, but it's interesting if you go back over the last, you include this title and the last um, in recent titles. The only time we've had a close title, is, uh, the last time we had a close title was 2014 when Manchester City just beat Liverpool. Um, last season, Chelsea won by seven points and were, you know, they, they, had that, they had the title dead quite early. Leicester won by 10 points, which seems remarkable. Um, and then uh, Mourinho's Chelsea in 2015 won by eight points. And again, they were, they were way ahead of the pack for um, early on in the season. So this, there seems to be something within the Premier League these days that if you do manage to um, put a lead, a, a, you know, a, a, a dominant lead on your rivals um, early enough in the, in the season, they fall away and they, 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 they seem to almost give up on the chase. So maybe that's telling us what Ian's saying, that it's, it's not a given that, um, that City are, are going to run away with it again next season, despite all the advantages they have. And, and one other thing I'd mention there is, yeah, Guardiola, talking about what we've, we've, you were asking about previously, Johnny, Guardiola is a very, very good coach. That's his greatest strength as a manager, is, is his ability to coach players technically into a tactical scheme. So if you're talking about, again, talking about other clubs emulating what Guardiola has done, you not only have to take away the finances, you have to take away the quality of coach because I don't think there are very many coaches on the same um, level when it comes to improving individuals and, and changing a team's system and getting players to play in the way he wants them to play as Guardiola. So if you're going to copy it, be prepared that what you, you're, you're not going to get a very good copy of the original. Ian, you mentioned Fred earlier on. Where do you think the majority of this two hundred billion is going to be spent in terms of strengthening Man City for the the difficult season ahead, as you've alluded to? I think it'll be um, in de- deepening the squad, Johnny. Uh, to be honest, I, I know that sounds weird, but uh, Pep is someone who likes to play with you know a, a fairly tight squad. Um, this is something Mourinho. Did uh, when he first came to Chelsea, he took uh, about 18, 19 players, and you'll find that they, those 18, 19 players played the majority of, of, of matches throughout the season. Um, now, I think what Pep's learned from this season, if he's going to learn anything at all, is that um, his, some of his players will get tired uh, because of the physical demands of the Premier League, um, which are not the same in the Liga or the Bundesliga, where he has succeeded before. And therefore, he'll have to rotate players probably earlier in the season, um, widen his uh, selection out more than he has done in order to uh, look at gaining success um, in the Champions League when it comes to later in the season when the Premier League title is either about to be wrapped up or is wrapped up. So I think we'll see um, players will augment positions that are already filled by very, very good players, um, but they will be come in in order to um, augment and strengthen Manchester City in a different way. I, I'm not sure it'll just be 200 million, to be honest. Um, if you look at what Manchester City have spent in the last two years, um, 
in the first season of Guardiola, their spend was 231 million euros. In the second season, it was 355 million. I'd be surprised if it, if it goes down as much as 200 million. In terms of where he spends it, um, they obviously need a left back um, as a backup to uh, Mendy, who will be fit again. I would not be surprised if he goes for a right back and sells Danilo. Um, given how far down the pecking order Danilo's dropped, um, and that he was when he was signed, they said he, uh, Guardiola said he could use him as cover at left back and centre midfield, both of which he's tried and both of which he's stopped doing, um, using you know several other players instead. Definitely a central midfielder. Um, definitely another attacker. Um, I would also not be surprised if he if he goes for um, a, a new goalkeeper, i.e. a backup goalkeeper of the, the type he wants. Um, you know, just the kind of things Ian's talking about, um, filling out that squad so he has two players of quality he wants and type he wants in each position. So um, he has certainly said himself he doesn't feel the, the squad is broad enough. Um, he's also made noises about um, making a very expensive signing. Um, you know, complained that he hasn't been able to spend at the same level as some other clubs in terms of um, a record, you know, an English record or a global record transfer fee. So again, if the opportunity were were to become available for someone, as you've seen suggested, um, if PSG's problems. Um, over FFP resulted in Killian and Bat coming on on the market. Um, then it wouldn't surprise me if City were to make an attempt for him because he's a player that Guardiola tried to get met in person last summer um, before he uh, agreed to join um, PSG, and he would be you know the ideal sort of front line attacker who can play all three um, positions across his his front line um, and and would you know be an obvious upgrade on the squad they've got so yeah i don't i don't expect and as said earlier the aim for abu dhabi is to win the champions league so if you're pep guardiola you're telling abu dhabi at the moment that the reason they didn't win the champions league is the squad's not quite good enough yet and try and convince them to give you even more money to spend this summer to get there okay we're going to move on from manchester city to their nearest neighbors Manchester United and the Daily Mail has been running a story that Paul Pogba is for sale goes at odds with what we've been saying on the podcast Duncan is there any reason to believe that Mourinho has changed his mind on persevering with Mr Pogba I don't think so um I think the only way Paul Pogba is sold is if one there is a club um capable of taking his substantial wages on and two that club is prepared to pay a very high fee to Manchester United um, and Pogba pushes for the move, Pogba Mino Raiola push for the move. You know, I think in those circumstances Manchester United um, and Mourinho could make it fly that, um, that Pogba had um, decided he wanted to leave and this was against the club's will but um, given the money they could raise from the sale and the, the need to invest substantially in the team again, it made business sense to do that. Um, I don't think there is a club there. Um, we know um, 
and, and Pep Guardiola confirmed this uh, for us, for everyone uh, recently, that Mino Raiola has been offering the player around to potential suitors um, and did that earlier in the season when um, when the, there was conflict between Mourinho and Pogba over which position he should play and his defensive duties and his contribution to the team. That did not pay dividends for Raiola at the time. Um, so, and I, I, I'm not sure. The only club I see as a potential buyer is Paris Saint-Germain. And um, it looks like Paris Saint-Germain are going to have FFP problems. Um, you know, UEFA are, if you um, take recent reports at face value, UEFA are looking very hard at the value of their commercial deals um, and are considering declaring them not of appropriate commercial value, like they've been exaggerated to allow Paris Saint-Germain to have a higher um, revenue than they should have, um, i.e. from money that they're pumping in from Qatar through uh, Qatari commercial organisations. And if that, if UEFA do take action on that, it then becomes very hard for Paris Saint-Germain to buy a player like Pogba and to pay his wages this summer. Unless, of course, Neymar um, is sold to Real Madrid. Then they would have the they would have the headroom to, to sign a player like Pogba. So yeah, I, I'd say it's not impossible that Pogba leaves Manchester United, but it's not something that Manchester United are actively trying to do. I do believe that Pogba's attitude has improved um, since his spat with Jose Mourinho regarding his position where he played and, and Mourinho slapping him down with um, his correct authority. Uh, I think that Pogba is a player who will always be commercially and uh, sporting value. Uh, he's a very young player who, who clearly is very gifted. Um, I think the, the goals he scored against Manchester City uh, were you know, the kind of goals that he used to score for Juventus and important goals, getting in the right position at the right time for a midfielder, etc., etc., I think Mourinho still sees Pogba as a challenge, someone who he, he needs to convert into, one of the best midfielders in the world. Um, he did it with Frank Lampard at Chelsea very successfully. I think he's employed some of the same techniques as he did with Lampard in terms of trying to motivate Pogba. Uh, unfortunately, what he has in Pogba is someone who's got a much higher sense of his own value than he had in Lampard, who was ready to listen and learn and do everything that his mentor told him. Um, so the disagreements between Mourinho and Pogba have been debilitating to their relationship as clearly um, in the first instance has damaged their relationship. But I do think that that's now being rebuilt. I think Pogba looks to me to be a happier person on the pitch. I think Mourinho is happier with his performances. I think at this moment in time, Mourinho is not planning next season without Paul Pogba. In fact, He's planning next season to help Paul Pogba by recruiting in central midfield and just possibly allowing Pogba to play the more forward role or even wide role that he is, he's craving. And if you've got an asset as both valuable and, and by that I mean in, in both playing terms and in financial terms as Pogba, you've got to get the best out of him. As I said, this is a challenge that Julian Mourinho's not giving up, giving up yet, uh, I'm making Pogba into one of the best in the world. I think there's quite a lot way to go. Mourinho knows that. I think Pogba thinks he's a better player than he actually is. But 
I genuinely believe that recruitment of Manchester United in the initial sense, uh, i.e. the meetings they're having now going into the window opening on uh, in the beginning of June, are to basically build around, not build around Pogba as the main player, but build into a team with Pogba in it. One other uh, story that we should probably look at, which, uh, Duncan, you have news on, is involving David De Gea. Yes, it's, um, you know, when we're talking about rebuilding at Manchester United, which is extremely important and which Mourinho has been emphasising both publicly and to the board, the need to get this summer right if they want to um, compete for the title against Manchester City next season. Um, On top of the issues they have is of retaining David De Gea. Um, And, you know, we've seen quite a few things recently that um, Manchester United were ready to give De Gea a new contract and they were confident he would sign a new contract and the terms of that have been sorted out. Um, Just uh, talking again to people close to De Gea this week, they say there has been no offer from Manchester United of a new contract, um, no discussions about a new contract of any uh, note at this stage and uh, and there is a, a great deal of frustration and bemusement that Manchester United are allowing De Gea's situation um, to develop this way and that he has one year left on his current deal. United have a um, unilateral option to extend for another year on top of that. But um, the feeling of De Gea and his camp is that he um, should have an extension and he should have a pay rise, um, which... Uh, he's, he merits for the quality of his play over the last several seasons and quality of the play again this season. And um, they, are, they can't believe that United have allowed it to get to the stage um, without doing something about it. And as we know, Madrid um, are again back in the market for a goalkeeper. Um, David De Gea wants to play for Madrid at some point in his career. He's previously agreed to play for Madrid only for the transfer to fall through over paperwork. Um, Were Madrid to push to try and sign the player again this summer, I don't think that situation would go away very quickly. I think it would be something that De Gea would consider and um, perhaps even be prepared to agitate for, given that United have done nothing to improve his terms um, over the course of this season. Personally, I find it remarkable um, that Manchester United haven't made uh, any efforts or any, any major efforts to extend De Gea's contract. I think he's proven himself again and again. He has nothing to prove in terms of being one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And goalkeeper is one of the hardest positions in football to fill with a player who is up to the task. And what Manchester United have right now is one who has indicated uh, and has performed to a level which I think probably exceeds most other keepers in the world. I think Courtois has gone backwards in his career. And if you look at other goalkeepers in the elite clubs, uh, Liverpool have had goalkeeping problems for three years. Uh, Chelsea have a good goalkeeper, but someone who even they're considering may leave or, or they may replace. Lloris is, is not of the level of De Gea and Ederson at Manchester City has shown himself to be 
potentially as good as De Gea. So my reading of this through experience would be that Manchester United quite simply have been told or know that De Gea is going to leave. And therefore they are actively now seeking a replacement for him and that they will get, given that he's still under contract, probably in excess of £50 million for him, which can only be down to one thing, and that is that De Gea and his agent, George Mendes, have instructed Manchester United that their intention is to leave for Real Madrid this summer. And in doing so, United have decided to not offer, well, get into what effectively would be pointless contract negotiations because the player wants to go. But also, and this is maybe, you know, a, a ploy on United's administrative staff and obviously um, Chief Executive Ed Woodward, and that is to not discuss De Gea's uh, deal, or indeed, as Duncan pointed out, to sometimes mislead people that in actual fact they're constantly signing a new contract while they go about their business quietly trying to sign his replacement and therefore avoid <laughs> some kind of inflated or aggravated negotiation with another club for a player who will replace him. I think, obviously, uh, Alisson, uh, the Brazil keeper at Roma, and Jan Oblak at uh, Atletico Madrid would be potential replacements, but they're not David De Gea. And that's the thing. And you know what? Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs in the world, if they can't keep their best players, who can? A player that's been linked with Manchester United is Thomas Lamar, as well as Liverpool, Arsenal and a few others. And uh, you've got some news, Ian, that he could be available again this summer. He will be available, that's for sure. Uh, the, the player has told Monaco he wishes to leave. Uh, his agent is um, in negotiations about the fee that it will cost to buy him. I think there is a release clause, Duncan, um, which still exists, is that correct, of around €90 million? Euros? No, there's no there's no release clause in the in the contract. The French clubs don't have any release clauses, but um, the Monaco's practice is to uh, put put a figure out on the market that they're prepared to sell a player for. And I think with Lamar, they're now looking for a hundred million plus. Well, so so what's happened in effect now is that Monaco have resigned themselves to the fact that Lamar wants to leave. Uh, he's seen how Kylian Mbappe has improved uh, exponentially his financial situation at, at Paris Saint-Germain. Um, he knows he's wanted by Liverpool, Arsenal and potentially Manchester United as well. His salary will increase three to fourfold in making the move. He's a young player, 22, I think, um, and someone who's an international player as well. So he could easily demand those terms. And uh, Monaco uh, have employed an agent to market him um, actively to all of the elite clubs, including Real Madrid and Barcelona as well, in the hope that obviously uh, both the player, the agent and Monaco get the best deal back uh, in terms of the amount paid and obviously the commission for the agent and the contract that the player signs. So I would say it's 99% certain that Thomas Lamar will leave Monaco in the summer window and I'd say it's 75% chance that we will see him playing at a Premier League club next season. At the moment, um, his options are the three English clubs that I mentioned. But I think a lot of people now believe that despite Gareth Bale's resistance to leaving Real Madrid, he is not a player who they value as they once did. He's not, And by that, I mean not financially, but in a sporting sense. He's a player who they believe they can command a very good transfer fee for, although probably less than the money he joined Madrid from Tottenham for. 
Um, however, there will be clubs willing to pay that fee, and certainly clubs in the Premier League as well, willing to pay that fee. And so Lamar could be an exciting uh, and new uh, addition to a Real Madrid squad, which will be uh, at, definitely, not, not quite overhauled, but will certainly be augmented with the hundreds of millions uh, which Florentino Perez is, is definitely happy to spend given the poor performance of Real in this year's La Liga Championship, um, where they currently sit fourth. Um, OK, they may win the Champions League, but in a way, and I've heard some people at Real and indeed a couple of players at Real say this, that La Liga is actually becoming more important because they're used to winning the Champions League. And now the inverse of Manchester City, they actually want to win La Liga. Yeah, look, you're you're absolutely right that Monaco um, want to sell Lamar. Um, Monaco have uh, kind of fallen upon a, a hugely effective transfer policy. They were, they were bought by uh, a Russian, um, a, a ton of money put in to try and establish them in the French league. Uh, then got hit by FFP. Um, the Russian wasn't prepared to subsidise to the extent he had been doing, so they sold off um, a large number of the players they'd signed in, in the initial rush of spending, made great profits on that, and then have just gone and done that every summer. And they, they're in this, this great position in that they can take players globally, put them in, in Monaco in the tax-free, on tax-free salaries, um, and put them in the shop window, and uh, and then have the, the the cream of European clubs uh, and Southampton come and buy them <laughs> off at, at inflated prices um, one or two years later. So they they now go into windows with a not a shopping list but a selling list. And the, the selling list for this window is Thomas Lamar, um, right back Sidibe, who's of interest to Manchester United, and Fabinho, who um, had been promised he would get to leave last summer. Um, and was uh, very close to joining Paris Saint-Germain, along with Kylian Mbappé, before um, Barcelona and the big club squealed about how much money um, PSG were spending in the transfer market, and PSG had to back off on the, the Fabinho deal. So you expect to see all three of those players move um, for substantial transfer fees this summer to um, the, some of the top clubs in Europe. Okay, well, Thomas Lamar's agent is, of course, George Mendes, and he is heavily involved at Wolves, who have just secured promotion to the Premier League. Duncan, how impressed have you been by the work of Nuno at Wolves, and do you think he can make an impact on next year's competition? I just to clarify there, uh, Lamar isn't represented by Mendes, but Mendes has been uh, hired to market him around the other clubs, which is one of the things he does on quite a frequent basis because of his contacts with the top clubs. He, he, um, he facilitates deals uh, for players he doesn't actually represent himself. In terms of Wolves, um, hugely impressive campaign and, and quite a groundbreaking one, I think, in that they have done it by recruiting um, talented, skillful players and a manager who wants to play uh, passing football and they were told by a lot of people in the English game that that just wouldn't work in the championship um, but they've demonstrated that you can get out of what is arguably the most competitive division in the country in terms of the, the breadth of teams that are 
um, in that division who are capable of going up in any given season. Um, and they now go into the Premier League. And um, frankly, I think I would not be surprised at all if Wolves were to finish in the top half of the Premier League next season because they've already got a core of players who are clearly um, capable of playing for a top-half Premier League team. They've demonstrated in some of their performances, um, they were the first club to hold Man City to um, a goalless draw and were unlucky not to beat them in, in the League Club the League Cup earlier this season. I think it was the first time Manchester City played in the League Cup, actually, which they eventually went on to win. That They're capable of, of, of playing um, a style of football with a quality of players um, that is probably beyond a good chunk of the Premier League this season. And, and this, this season's Premier League has kind of been an odd one because we've had you know, the supreme quality of Manchester City, but a good top five. Um, I think you've got to exclude Arsenal because they've separated them, uh, uh, themselves away from that, that, um, what, was, what was the top six. Um, a lot of competitive, interesting games between them. But underneath, it's been pretty dire, to be honest, which it, I think explains why a club like Burnley have, have managed to establish themselves um, so far um, up the division this season. And you've seen teams like Southampton, who were uh, safe mid-table, mid um, upper mid-table clubs for such a long time. West Brom, who um, were, not, were not in danger of relegation most seasons for quite a long time just falling away this year um, so I, I think if you put Wolves with um, they have an advisor in Mendes on board who's capable of finding them very good players at reasonable prices they already have a good coach you know a coach who who um, who did exceptionally well um, in the Spanish league um, and has a lot of experience um, and they have a core of decent players already, and they and they have a an ownership who are are uh, financially wealthy and will be prepared to put money in on top of the the Premier League television revenue they've got into more quality recruitment, which I would expect Wolves to do very well next season in the Premier League. This is exactly how good Wolves are. Um, there was a meeting of the Premier League stakeholders in London on mon uh, Monday, uh, yesterday, and several clubs voiced their concern about Wills and the influence of George Mendes and the financial um, ability, let's just say, that they've had in terms of signing players and paying players in the championship. So you have players in the bottom half of the Premier League before relegation has even been settled for this season saying, we're not very happy about this. We don't like the fact Supervision George Mendes is heavily involved at Wills, and we indeed back the owner uh, Radzani at Leeds, who wrote a letter to the EFL complaining about the very same thing and saying it gave Wills an unfair advantage. So that's how scared people in the Premier League are about Wills and their ability and their potential to compete. And when Duncan says he expects them to finish top half, that's one less place in the relegation battle for the clubs who do survive this year and therefore are saying, we don't want our gravy train to stop. We don't want um, the notion or the idea that someone who, um, like Mendes, who is incredibly influential in the world of football, is part of this project. We want this to be investigated. We want it to effectively stop 
because we feel they've got an unfair advantage. Now, I'm sorry to say that the 100 and what, 70, 80, 90 million pounds that every one of those bottom half clubs gets from the Premier League television uh, revenue every season, how they spend that and how they employ and how they uh, recruit surely has to be uh, equated against a championship club who haven't seen Premier League football for you know a decade or longer, more than that. Um, surely that's got to be, you've got to say, look, this is not about Wills and George Mendes. This is about your mismanagement of your funds and the way that you've spent the hundreds of millions of pounds which has been given to you and you've earned from your Premier League status over these last few years. So why, why are you complaining now that a club which is a very big club, remember, Wolverhampton Wanderers is historically a very big club in, in, uh, in English football. Maybe not a sleeping giant, maybe just a, you know, a big laddie having a nap, but certainly a, a, club, a club who can compete and should be competing and is exciting to watch. I think Wolves and Fulham have been two fantastic examples of football teams um, who play in a way that you know, is easy on the eye and entertains fans and everything else, but is also successful. And personally... I welcome the Premier League, as I would do Fulham as well, because they will make a, a difference in terms of um, the way that they don't just look at survival as, as a means of uh, playing game by game. They look at actually entertaining, they look at being successful in the longer term, building their clubs, but also building a foundation and philosophy of football, which is one which the fans want to invest in. I don't just mean season tickets, I mean their emotional energy as well. So you know, if these clubs want to complain, let them complain. But I certainly hope that nothing, uh, you know, untoward happens. Let's just say, with regards to the level playing field when Wolves make it uh, their debut next season. Just touching on that um, is a quite an interesting start. That seven out of the twenty teams in the Premier League this season have scored less goals than games played. Burnley, in seventh place, have scored thirty-three goals in thirty-three games. Um, does that? What does that say about? the type of football that's been played by some of these times. It's been uh, very sides. effective, Johnny, that's for sure. It's been very effective because Burnley are, you know, well, certainly um, <clears throat> Sean Dice is the darling of many of, of, of the uh, English media because he's English, funnily enough, and he's very straight-talking northerner, which they like. Um, whether or not he can build a football team which will challenge the Premier League, I'd say, is very much in doubt. Will he be touted as the next England manager? Of course he will. Um, however... <clears throat> the stat you just quoted tells us a lot about the style of play that Burnley have employed to very, very great effect. And I'm not taking anything away from them. But uh, when you compare them to Wills, who would you rather pay to go and watch? I know how I would. I think, I think the, I mean, I, I can tell you that Andre Radrizani, who the Leeds United owner who has been the instigator of these complaints to the English Football League about um, George Mendes's role in Wolves, actually contacted Mendes on multiple occasions during the season, asking him to uh, operate in a similar function with Leeds United and to provide his expertise in recruitment because he felt that um, his own club's recruitment at Leeds United hadn't been very good. And I, and I think that's essentially what it comes down to here. There's no... Um, Wolves have obviously uh, had to uh, cohere with all the, the football league rules uh, when the, the Fosun, the Chinese group, took purchase of the club, and they've done that. And, and the reason they've been successful is they've signed players well. And it, 
really isn't a surprise that if you go to one of the top agents in the world and ask him to advise you on a manager after you've made mistakes with your previous managerial recruitments and on players, then he can provide you with guys like Ruben Neves who were not rated by Premier League clubs, uh, who was not rated by Football League clubs and who was offered to a number of those clubs who turned their, their noses up at him. And then um, he has, as an agent, says to the owners who trust him, no, this is a player you want to recruit for the team because he's a better quality than um, most, if not all, players in the Football League. They sign him and he turns out to be um, the player of the season in the Football League. It's, you know, this is simply just about efficient recruitment. Um, you compare that, for example, to Aston Villa, who um, their uh, big signing for the season was John Terry, um, and who John Terry, who's paid more than any player at Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, who's, where's the more efficient buy there? Where's the value in the market? What do you get when you take a player who's been um, by Chelsea because the manager... Uh, was hardly able to play him in the previous season. Where's the long, where's the long-term value if you go back up to the Premier League with John Terry in your defence and, and you know John Terry, who was known by all um, Premier League opposition as to be so slow that uh, you, you could target him in a in a game. That's whereas the what Wolves have in Neves is the best player in the division. If they aren't able to retain him, they will probably be able to sell him to uh, another Premier League club at a substantial profit and reinvest that money elsewhere in their team and similar talents who are uh, not valued by the opposition. That's how you get ahead in football. That's how you develop a team uh, and move up the divisions as you, you use your, the, the money you have available to you from broadcasting rights and your owners and you invest it in good players at cheaper prices then you're, the opposition are buying them. And this is very much Johnny a straw man argument because um, every club who has um, inherited or um, ascertained a benefactor who is um, very, very financially wealthy um, has employed an agent who, who has effectively dictated transfer policy. Uh, when Roman Abramovich bought Chelsea in 2003, <clears throat> it was Pini Zahavi. And then later, when Jose Mourinho um, joined the club, it was George Mendes with Pini Zahavi in tow as well. Uh, over the years, Manchester United have employed both Mendes and Zahavi to great effect. With uh, Arsenal um, under Wenger at the beginning, Jerome Anderson played a huge part in the recruitment of players at that club. So the idea that Wolves are doing something which is somehow morally wrong or, or, or slightly dodgy is absolute nonsense. What they've done is they've employed a very well um, uh, thought of uh, and also very um, shown to be successful technique of bringing in someone with influence who can get you the right players at the right price and who can give you the right advice in order to get you out. So effectively what Wolves have done is they've said, we're a Premier League club in waiting. We're going to do what Premier League clubs do at the very top. And in this case, they've employed the guy at the very top, George Mendes, and it's been very successful for them. So uh, all the bickering and, and the sort of, you know, backbiting and insults that are being thrown at them or, you know, even the accusations are nonsense. What they've done is, is actually quite visionary, but it's not revolutionary. 
Okay, guys, well, I look forward to looking at them next season, but we're going to move on to our legendary quickfire round that takes about 15 minutes. Hopefully not the case <laughs> this week. Um, what we're going to do is, as we started the show looking at Manchester City and their dominate, domination of the Premier League this season, we're going to look at the teams that will challenge them next year and give them a market of 10 for the potential as title challengers. So we're going to start with you, Duncan, and Spurs. Uh, there's so many questions about Tottenham for next season. You know, do they retain Pochettino as manager? Um, how much of that squad of you know one of the best squads in the division are they able to retain um, uh, and get on new salaries um, and keep happy? Um, if we make the assumption that Pochettino stays and we make the assumption that he retains all the top talent that he wants to retain within that squad and we make the assumption additionally that Levy gives him what he wants in the market, which is the ability to buy ready-made players to supplement that squad, then I would give them a 7 out of 10 um, because they, do, they would then have the capability in terms of squad to challenge for the, the title. But what I would question as a question for a long time is that ability to actually win something and get across the Rubicon of being um, contenders for trophies to being winners of trophies and and maybe they can change that in the FA Cup it's a big opportunity I think it's a very important opportunity for them to, to get a piece of silverware not just for the players but for Pochettino himself you've got to remember as a coach he's never won anything and that's a big deficit on any player, any coach's skill set, not his CV, his skill set. We have to say, Johnny, sorry, that the legend of the quickfire run continues. The ratio <laughs> of Duncan's words to numbers there, I'm sure, was, was incredibly high. <laughs> so seven if you choose, though, I like seven. If you, choose a, if you choose a topic like this, it was always going to end up in disaster. Uh, Manchester United, Ian. Nine for me, Johnny. They'll improve. Mourinho intends to be ruthless in the way that he both trims and adds to his squad. They have been the main challenger. They will be the next uh, next season. They'll be the main challenger as well. Chelsea, Duncan. Uh, four. I think Chelsea are in a very bad way. Um, their manager wants to leave. He won't walk. He wants to be sacked. They haven't secured a replacement yet. Their squad's not great. Um, uh, age profile's poor. Uh, the number of uh, homegrown players is poor. Um, lots of work to be done there, and they're not in a position to start that work because they haven't even uh, identified the man they want to be in charge of the squad and the man they want to be in charge of recruitment because that's also changed there. So I don't expect Chelsea to challenge for the title next season. Ian, Liverpool. Seeds of promise, green shoots of recovery, uh, impressive performances against top six teams this season and obviously Champions League campaign as well. I'd give them an eight. I'm not sure that they are ready to challenge City uh, on a like-for-like basis despite their very good results against them um, head-to-head. But... um, Naby Keita arrives, another central defender, a decent goalkeeper. Maybe that eight will turn into a nine. Arsenal. Um, 
again, a club in turmoil. A uh, decision has to be made over Arsene Wenger, who's not going to resign. He's not going to walk. He's made that very clear. They need to change Arsene Wenger if they want to challenge for the title. They need a lot of recruitment. Um, they need to you know, gut, gut that squad, I think, and, and bring new players in. I don't think the ownership is, is ready to do that. Um, the one thing I would say is if they fail to win the Europa League um, and are in a position where they can dump the Europa League early next season and only uh, and concentrate the resources in the Premier League, then they should finish. They should have the potential to finish higher. But in terms of a mark out of 10 to challenge for the title, I give them zero. Ian, Davey Moyes harnesses all that talent that got him the move to Manchester United and turns Everton, sorry, and turns West Ham into a fighting force for the Premier League. Do you believe it? I'm still reeling from I'm still reeling from the zero that Duncan gave to Arsenal. It's like when I gave Ashley Cole a three, but he uh, outplayed uh, Luis Figo in a quarter final of the European Championship in 2004, and I got. The absolute Mickey taken out of me on the England team bus. Um, however, uh, despite the schizophrenia Duncan, uh, Duncan and uh, Johnny of the Everton West Ham conundrum, um, maybe if he had the resources of both clubs put together, he could challenge. But I'd say West Ham will be, um, I think they'll be probably mid table mediocrity next season, certainly not challenging for the title. And Duncan, finally, Wolves. Uh, challenging for the title would be a step too far. Um, I think. Uh, think about Leicester, Duncan. Come on. <laughs> in the first, in the first season up, um, challenge, outside. Let's, let's say a challenge for a Europa League place. Um, I'll just give them a five for that. Okay, Duncan, as usual, making up his own game as he goes along. <laughs> um... The only way to play it. <laughs> right, that's all from us guys We'll be back next week at our usual time uh, Tuesday uh, Please subscribe on iTunes And make sure you get the podcast As soon as it becomes available If you want to continue the debate, you can We're all on Twitter, I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane More importantly, the boys are At Duncan Castles And at Garbo SJ Until next time, thanks for listening <laughs>